Welcome everyone, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm Joe Holden and I've got with me Nick White, who's dialing in from Australia today. Hello. And Matt Scott, here in the UK, like me. Hi Joe, hi Nick. Hi guys. So listen, Matt and Nick are both from our strategic research team and the idea today is really just to give a taster of some of our thoughts around um, what we call themes and opportunities for 2022. Now, metamorphosis is the, the is the term that we've applied to our themes, and essentially we're thinking about a period of significant change, but we're also reflecting on the fact that we do actually have some hope that by, by being a little bit smart about the um, how you face all of that change, investors can emerge stronger. Now, there are three themes that we're looking at under that heading of metamorphosis. The first one is changing of the guard. You know, the macro is shifting like pretty seismically. Um, second one, position for transition, you know, a, a theme of ours that really does carry over from 2021 for, for pretty obvious reasons. And then thirdly, modern diversification, which is essentially our um, portfolio theme. And how that ro rolls into what clients are asking, well, it actually ties very closely because we've got three big questions coming from clients and they follow these three themes. So first of all, in the context of changing with the guard, a sub theme is policy pathways related primarily to inflation risks. Uh, and as we know, inflation is uh, running pretty hot at the moment and clients are asking, understandably, where will inflation go from here and how will policymakers respond? How long will this, this situation last? In the context of position for transition, really it's a broader sustainability question, question that clients are asking. COP26 may have set the scene and we know the regulation is either here or on its way, depending on where you are in the world. Um, but the big questions from clients are, well, how do I really implement it broadly across our portfolio? How do we address sustainability across our portfolio? And is now the right time to make the move with uh, markets having moved so much uh, in such a short space of time? The third question then is really under the context of modern diversification, and it's really around more sort of fundamental classic investment questions, things like forward-looking returns, uh, how do I manage my downside risk, risk management issues um, with only half the bond market offering yields below 1% and equity valuations now no longer cheap relative to bonds, which they have been for so long? Clients are asking really sort of classic questions like, where's my 7% per annum going to come from? Well, it might not come from anywhere, of course. Uh, what do I replace the bonds in my defensive portfolio with? I mean, these are really fundamental questions. So investors have got a lot to deal with. Matt, where do you want to go first? Yeah, so I think getting getting inflation positioning right is a really interesting one to me because it cuts across all of those pieces. Um, it's about diversification. It, it's about our policymakers going to let inflation run away, and it, it's about a lot of real assets having sustainability issues. And how do you get the sustainability right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right in terms of, you know, a lot of the chats that I've got with clients, is, there's obviously concerns about um, sustainability, but also about sort of things like greenwashing. So, you know, for example, pretty much any investment could be justifiable under a certain perspective or from a particular angle. So, you know, you could go into maybe the most polluting investment out there under the principle that if you steward it, it, it offers the biggest possible change. So, I think sort of that question about how do clients get that right is, is one we should spend a bit of time on, Nick. Yeah, so really clients need a structured approach to this. Um, there are lots of ways to play sustainability, whether it is through exclusions from a portfolio, uh, a truly integrated approach that captures thematic strategies 
and indeed stewardship. Um, and I think quite rightly, more and more investors are taking their stewardship very, very um, seriously because that's where they see the greatest um, opportunity for change uh, and really to make, you know, impact essentially. And I, I think sort of, you know, a lot of our clients, most of our clients even are probably attuned to that idea and particularly the thought of sort of being quite well structured. But I think the other question that I'm certainly asked a lot, you know, particularly thinking about the last couple of years or so is whether or not, you know, are we in the midst or getting towards the top of a, an ESG bubble? Yeah, that's definitely a critical question. That's a question we get a lot. Um, mm. We are talking about a massive structural trend here and a structural trend really like no other. So I'd prefer to re refer to it as a balloon rather than a bubble. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that there have been um, a surge in, in, in increase in interest. So we've been covering ESG and climate change and sustainability for well over a decade, and interest in those areas grew relatively steadily until 2019, and then it suddenly surged forward. Um, we actually talked about it in our themes and opportunities last year. I mean, there is, there's no, you can't, not have an impact on markets when you have that surge in interest. And there are definitely pockets of, uh, of richness in the market that clients should be aware of. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's risk everywhere. There's actually opportunities across the spectrum as well. Where is the risk highest? The risk is highest if you have a relatively narrow or blunt definition of sustainability, um, such as a relatively unsophisticated passive strategy. And it's worse if you do one of the sort of classic investment mistakes, if you move very large sums of money in one fell swoop. Um, you might refer to that as putting all your chips in, in green, on green, on one spin of the wheel. Um, there's ways to manage this. I mean, if you're um, out there choosing active managers who can manage the valuation risk in a better way, um, who can really look through valuations towards you know, potential for greater earnings growth from the next wave of innovation going forward, you can still um, capitalise on that opportunity. Um, and of course, there really are opportunities across the spectrum. We talk about the grey, the green and the in-between, the green being the more sort of pointy end, uh, low emissions, possibly even solutions to climate, and then the greys being the higher emissions. Um, but the opportunity is very different depending on where you are. Uh, in, in the greens, you're looking for... Um, the next wave of solutions, whereas in the greys, actually stewardship really may be, uh, may generate decent returns, decent value add, there is return in change. Um, and it's important that clients have that spectrum. And in the context of uh, climate transition, the way they have a spectrum of strategies to approach the broader sustainability question. Matt, I might just pick that up with you, actually, if that's okay, because I mean, Nick was talking there about opportunities, and I know that you've been doing quite a lot of research on this, um, specifically looking at things that investors might be missing, so unpopular assets that might deserve a second chance, or maybe sort of avenues that investors are missing. Yeah, so I, I, I think that's right. Uh, there, there are probably avenues that investors are missing. There are there are unpopular assets that are probably un undeservedly unpopular, if we can call it that. So I think there are investors sometimes through particular constraints they have that they they haven't made use, as much use of private markets as maybe they could have. Um, so. As we've termed it in this piece of work, the world is going through a metamorphosis at the moment. And a lot of the solutions we're looking for uh, as a planet are going to arise in the area of technology. This is the so-called uh, bright green future, essentially. 
And a lot of it is happening in, in venture capital and private markets in, in general. So we, we do encourage clients to, you know, have a look at that area. You know, if they've had a look at it before and, you know, haven't gone ahead, it, you know, things have probably changed a bit. So I think as well, in, in terms of unpopular assets, that's probably part of the same bright green story. Um, so we know that the increasing reliance on technology and the new infrastructures and technologies we need for the transition, you know, they're going to need metals. Uh, you know, we have to be very frank about that. We need metals. Um, so when we're talking uh, metals and mining, uh, we often see uh, very profitable businesses with high free cash flows that are pretty unloved by the market uh, at the moment. And this could be to do with the emissions problems that you see with, with mining. So we think this area could be an opportunity for investors as long as it's done in the right way, in, in a sustainable way. So there are things that you would need to manage. There's workforce rights, indigenous rights, uh, you know, signing up to the right initiatives, you know, things like uh, tailing ponds and, you know, making sure the energy usage was done right. And you know that could also work in tandem with with other pieces related to metals for example you know a phrase that we use a lot now is is the circular economy so that we're not just uh, expending resources at the time but re recycling so with a lot of the regulation shifts that you know have started to come and are going to increase the recycling of metals is going to become uh, probably pretty profitable. Uh, so that's another angle. Yeah, Matt, thanks for that. And I'm kind of, as you raise sort of resources and, and, and that makes me think more generally about real assets, I guess that brings us back to inflation and, and more to the point what our clients, what investors can do about it. So Nick, maybe I'll give the easy question to you. Um, inflation, is it going to stick around? Yeah, that's a really easy question, isn't it? Um, I think the <laughs> So uh, I, I was trained as a consultant, so I'll say, well, possibly. Um, with US inflation at 6%, its highest level since the 1990s, it's not really surprising that people are getting a bit freaked out. Um, and while the word transitory is arguably the word of the year, um, there are reasons why uh, it could be more than a blip, and there are reasons why people should be concerned. I mean, inflation can damage equities and bonds at the same time. And given that so many portfolios were built in the sort of disinflationary last two to three decades um, when equities and bonds worked perfectly well together and were nicely, beautifully, negatively correlated, you can see why portfolios are structured around there. You know, there, there's an exposure. So what's going on in the short term? What's going on in the long term? In the short term, essentially what we've got is a disconnect between strong growth emerging from the pandemic versus constrained supply continuing post-pandemic. Now, to a certain extent, both of those could even out and you see some of those shorter term pressures going but there is genuine reason to believe that some of the lo longer term structural forces that could drive disinflation or could drive inflation are sort of tipping more towards inflation so globalization of course has been a massively powerful force over the last couple of decades um, with us and china um, and, you know both powerhouses these days china being much more self-sufficient um, it's entirely questionable as whether that globalization will um, will continue to have that same force. Although some of the concerns about supply chain, um, about companies actually shifting their supply chain to become more local, some of that seems to have dissipated a little bit. The big one, arguably, though, is policymakers. 
So obviously central banks are very focused on containing inflation. Their remit has now changed. They're now focused on target levels of inflation. And obviously with debt burdens where they are, there's always going to be the temptation to let inflation run a bit hot to ease that debt burden. Um, technology will continue to be a disinflationary force, but will every aspect of technology be disinflationary as social media been disinflationary, for, for instance? Um, certainly climate solutions will continue to be disinflationary. But there is no doubt that um, some of those big, big, big forces that have been driving disinflation could go the other way. Um, Sustained inflation is something investors should look to be guarding against. And as I mentioned, you know, portfolios may well not be positioned for it. Um, and I, I think in terms of solutions here, here Nick, it, it, it's, not, it's not easy. So the major problem with inflation protection is, firstly, a lot of the assets that you, your mind might go to first in, in the toolkit are contractual, for example, index-linked bonds. And they they're really pricey from from a yield perspective. And then if you look at more loosely linked assets, uh, for example, oil, which contributes really significantly, at least to the short term volatility of inflation, have really large sustainability challenges and may or may not kick in depending on what what type of inflation you get. Uh, so there's no there's no really easy answers here. So metals is something that we've already mentioned, and they could play a role here. But we we've also in recent research and ongoing research taken a closer look at gold in particular. Uh, so gold is a very volatile asset that can go out of favour quickly. Uh, but we think it has a couple of real merits. Firstly, when it tends to do badly, the rest of your portfolio is probably doing pretty well. And secondly, it's one of the few assets that we think will do very well if stagflation comes. That is when economic growth is weak, but inflation is robust and rising. Um, it's often got a higher sensitivity to inflation than index-linked bonds, but also the relationship is a lot looser. So we, we tend to see it as something that can supplement inflation-linked portfolios, potentially. Matt, one of the things you didn't mention there, and it's something that we get asked quite a lot, is whether or not Bitcoin is an inflation-protecting asset. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I have had that a few times. You, you get that a lot on, on social media as well. So uh, no, it's it's not. I think I think is is my answer to that. I think that's quite an easy response. But uh, uh, you, I probably need to expand on that. So I think clearly uh, Bitcoin has been going up at the same time as inflation has been. Uh, but you know, there's a, a sort of old old chestnut. The correlation isn't isn't the same thing as a causation. So clearly, uh, Bitcoin has had a big uh, tailwind from things like the stimulus checks in in the US. But I think Bitcoin is has really become an asset of almost uh, pure speculation. Uh, you know, like a pure risk gauge, if you will. So. Um, it also has got a huge problem. Uh, so it's carbon footprint or, you know, I, it's Bigfoot-sized carbon footprint and um, the emissions are ongoing. You know, every time you retransact it, you're generating emissions again. And 
not only that, but I think it's it's pretty rubbish as money. You you know, if you ask any economist, you know what you know what what is money? What are, what are the different things that classify things as money? You know, it it doesn't meet the standards. It, it's slow and it it costs a lot to to use. So. Just reining myself back in, I you know I don't mean to dismiss the entire area of cryptocurrency in general, but I am pretty skeptical about uh, Bitcoin in in the long term. Uh, incidentally, it, it's an area where I get a lot of uh, meetings, as there's a lot of demand for training sessions, and clients are you know they they really are in, increasingly interested in the area. Yeah, and I guess that kind of makes me think, look, transformation is probably a bit of an overused term um, in our sort of world. But but I do think that transformation is, 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 is really relevant when we think about another area that clients are showing more and more interest in at the moment, and that's diversity. Um, look, you know, I mean, clients are, in the first instance, they're asking for data and asking questions about data in, in relation to investment managers that they use in particular, um, you know, and, and, and that's probably right in terms of having that emphasis on data in the first instance, because, look, you know, if we don't know where we stand, then we'll, we'll never improve. But I think I take a slightly different view on this in the sense that I think it would be a, a, a colossal shame, actually, if we wasted the next however many years sort of essentially faffing around getting perfect data when actually we could do a lot more to, to, to change what we're doing, um, transform, if we if we kind of go back to that term, if we actually front up to responsibilities in a much more meaningful way. And I think that means tackling inclusion. Yeah, diversity of investment managers is, is something we keep a very close eye on uh, and we'll continue to do so into the future. I mean, it, some of the numbers are quite surprising. When we surveyed last year, we found only 8% of portfolio managers are women, which is pretty shocking in 2021. I and mean, we managed 33% for this call. <laughs> you, you, would, you know, the numbers just simply um, should be higher than that. Um, and of course, you know, that, what implications does that have for the next generation of women coming through? You know, these are significant issues. Okay, well, unfortunately, that's probably taken us up to time. So, um, look, Matt and Nick, thank you. Um, it does feel like we've we've kind of barely scratched the surface of all of the ideas we've got to talk about. Um, modern diversification, I guess, is is one. So, looking at different types of protection, but also on the upside, thinking about new technologies and innovation. But Asian century, so more targeted exposures to China, is the other one that we've we've maybe not covered in in, in any detail. But look, you know. I hope those of you listening have got a flavour at least for, for how we're thinking. And if you do want more information on either the themes and opportunities or the Asian century idea, then if you use the link that was in the podcast description, then there's lots of materials um, that that will take you to on, on, on the website. So um, Nick, Matt, for now, thank you very much um, for joining me this morning. And I hope everyone's enjoyed the discussion as much as we have. Yep, thank, thank you very you. much. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions.